are currently have been in a, in a home, uh, Lord willing, where there was a spiritual leader. Um, and a conclusion. So next slide. So why timely? There are a number of uh, statistics I could have pointed out here this morning to suggest to us that society seems to be disintegrating around us. But given the topic of uh, spiritual leadership in the home, I zeroed in on just three that speak to uh, the, uh, the notion of uh, fatherless homes. For example, poverty. 75% of American children living in single-parent families will experience poverty before age 11. Crime. 70% of juveniles in state reform institutions grew up in single or no-parent situations. And our own Department of Health and Human Services in Washington uh, suggests, and this is a quote, that fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. So just showing those statistics to underscore the, the endemic nature of, of, of the, the problems that we face, and also to underscore why we should be concerned about slash interested in the whole notion of sp- spiritual leadership. Next slide, please. Who, uh, who recognizes this photo? Anybody? Oh, that's okay. Please. <laughs> Uh, who, anybody, just only a couple. Hmm. All right. Uh, so can anyone hazard a guess? This, who, who, uh, this is a television program popular in the 50s and the 60s. Anybody know the name of it? Great. Okay, you did know, recognize it. Father Knows Best. What kinds of m- messages does that photo show? Does that, does that send to you? Okay. The father's very wise. What else? Good. Obedient family. Gathered around the father. The father's in the center. So he's obviously well-liked. Mm-hmm. Well-liked, respected, esteemed. And hence the name of the program, Father Knows Best. Fifty years ago, the father knew best. Next slide. Next slide, brothers. All right. Fast forward 50 years. Who knows who this is? Anybody? Simpsons. Okay, his name is Homer. And um, what do you know about him as a father? He's stupid. He's stupid. Okay, what else? He works in uh, Gary's industry. Okay, or I mean, no, your brother Jeffrey. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, but he is the brunt of all jokes, I guess. You know. I, I'm just going to say a disclaimer. I've never seen the program all the way through. Certainly, I've seen snippets of it and get very disgusted and walk out of the room. That's when the kids were living at home. But anyway, uh, and just about came to the point of saying that program's got to go because, you know, that just undermines, you know, the authority of the father figure tremendously, sending those subtle messages. I wanted to embed a YouTube because I, when I got interested in this, I went out to the Internet to try to to get this picture, basically, and I came upon a YouTube. I wish I could have embedded it. It would have taken too much time anyway, but it was Homer's encounter with Satan. And if you could see that video, it just would shock and awe is all about what I can come up with for, for Christian brothers to look at something like that, how degrading that was to the father figure in our homes. Next slide. Well, so what changed? I hope you can see this. It's a little faint. But the percentage of uh, Americans, if you look at the last 50 years, who are married, the percentage of Americans who are married has declined uh, significantly, 72% to 52%. Next slide. And, um, you know, it it should be no surprise because back in the 70s, that was a best-selling book. The title is Creative Divorce. And if you can't read the subtitle, it says A New Opportunity for personal growth. This was in the 1970s, right in the wake of the um, you know, cultural revolutions of the 60s, where all you know, institutions were being challenged, authority being questioned, and the institution of marriage suddenly became questioned, and as a society, we were even encouraged you know, to think about self-actualization as a greater good over our marriage, our commitment of marriage. Next slide. Um, so you would then, as you would expect, see 
an increase in the divorce rate in our country from 1960. Well, this slide goes to 95, which was the latest year for which I could get complete data, which was kind of interesting. Um, but you, I want to point out in that slide, do you see a little leveling off, maybe even declining of the divorce rate? We do see that, and that's, that, that is interesting. Is that cause for celebration, that maybe the society is getting it? Ah, next slide. So if you zero in on those in their 20s in terms of the marriage rate, look at that. From 68% 50 years ago to 26% today. So indeed, less people and less youth are choosing marriage, choosing matrimony. So, well, okay, is that all right? You know, maybe living, living single and trying to sort things out in their life, the economy's bad, and maybe putting off the marriage decision for a few years down the road. Next slide. Well, no. Look at what's happening with uh, cohabitation. The rate of unmarried couples living together just in 1990, that's only you know, 20 years ago, to, to now is over you know, 7.5 million youth living together. So no, they're not choosing marriage as a legitimate pathway. They're choosing increasingly cohabitation. Next slide. And so what would you expect to happen in that scenario? Well, we're getting many more births to unmarried women. So what does that tell us about the, the role of the father in the homes? Is that even viable anymore? Because we know the predominance of these uh, single-parent families are women as the head of the household. Next slide. Well, someone writing for the Time magazine a couple years ago said this, there's no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. So are we seeing marriage actually collapsing? Next slide. Arguably, take a look at this slide. This is a website that tracks uh, state laws relative to uh, legalizing same-sex marriage. Um, someone from Canada answered for me, D does Canada allow that? Because in this, it's, it's all pink up there. Okay, so the pink states and north of, of the U.S. border is all pink. So those are the states that allow same-sex unions. The yellow are those states that allow uh, for um, domestic partnerships. Uh, and the black are still those states that have a ban on same-sex marriages. So arguably, looking at that, you, we can certainly say definitively that the institution of marriage is seriously being challenged today. Next slide. And here's someone writing in 1996. He said this, if the family trends of recent decades are extended into the future, and we're reading this in the future now. This was in 96 he wrote it, so think about that. We're reading this in the future. The result will be not only growing uncertainty within marriage, but the gradual elimination of marriage in favor of casual liaisons oriented to adult expressiveness and self-fulfillment. Are we seeing that in our culture today? The problem with scenario is that children will be harmed, adults will probably be no happier, and the social order could collapse. So we're talking about marriage collapsing, we're talking about the entire social order collapsing. Um, next slide. Just last, um, last month, writing in the New York, or in the uh, Washington Times, look at this. The media crusade to redefine marriage has taken a radical turn. Media outlets have put a spotlight on the narcissistic practice of self-marriage, in which a person marries himself or herself in a formal ceremony. You have to think that one through a little bit, but this was in a reputable newspaper just a month ago. The term marriage is being redefined to mean any special relationship which one person has with anybody, including himself, including this formalized narcissism. The media happily present a parade of sexual oddities, presenting them as choices and lifestyles. So this is real, and this is what's happening in today's culture. So brothers, how important is it that we consider this topic of spiritual leadership in our homes? Next slide. 
factors leading to this collapse, just try to go through this real quickly. Reading from Hosea 13, it says this. Think about this. Uh, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore, they have forgotten me. So in a culture of great prosperity, there is a tendency to become totally self-reliant, forgetting God and forgetting his precepts and forgetting that it's God who created all of creation and set it into order. We tend to forget that. But along with that prosperity uh, comes the pursuit of pleasure. And uh, the pursuit of pleasure as an end in of itself, pleasure being the greatest good. Reinterpretation of biblical truths. We've seen that in recent years where esteemed clergy from, from, from uh, other denominations have rewritten the Bible in a way to justify such things as same-sex marriage. Our government, uh, just a year ago, the President of the United States decided that his administration would no longer enforce a law called the Defense of Marriage Act. So just unilaterally decided and directed the Department of Justice to no longer defend that act. And what that act says is that a marriage is a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife, and that it provided that no state can be required to recognize the same-sex marriage made legal in another state. So what's the government doing in the attack on marriage and family? What about education? Uh, you're probably familiar with the, coalition, the Rainbow Coalition that has infiltrated curriculum planning and textbook writing to redefine the family, to re- redefine what's normal. And our children are just dutifully going to our wonderful schools and learning that. We need to be aware of what, of what they are learning, all in the, in, the, in the name of the unencumbered life. Don't judge me, you know, let me do my thing and I won't judge you. Next slide. Uh, The perception of the average American. Look at this. 60% of Americans believe premarital sex is not wrong. 60%, the majority. In 2010, a Pew survey showed that 44% of 18 to 29-year-olds believe marriage is becoming obsolete. So when the institution of marriage collapses, the family breaks down, the family breaks down entire neighborhoods decay. Next slide. So where do we turn? Well, fortunately, as Christians, we know where to turn. We can go back to the beginning. We can go back to God. And we can be assured and comforted that God did have a plan for his creation and does have a plan for his creation. And the plan is is one of peace and not of evil. As long as we call upon him, he promises to hearken unto us. And When we seek him, we will find him when we search for him with all our heart. And so, brothers, that's our starting point. That's where we go. We go to the word in this very confusing world in which we live, very chaotic and fast-changing. We need to go back to the rock of God's word to sort this out. What should our response be? Next slide. Well, going back to creation real quickly in Genesis 1, we see that God created man, created us in his image. And he also gave us authority to have dominion over all the earth. That was God's plan. That's how he created us. Next slide. And further, he created the institution of marriage. It says here that he created male and female. And he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So God's plan in the institution of marriage was that we would form families and families would form communities, all in accordance with his order. Next slide. And God further provided that there would be order within the marriage institution. And here we see that God um, said it is not good that man uh, should live alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
so the order that God created within the marriage institution was that the wife would be a helpmeet for the husband. And then next slide, we can see that in the New Testament, we, ha- we have even further um, explanation of God's order for the marriage institution. And that is, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ, the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So God's perfect order, God's, God's way of things to be, was that the wife would be in subjection to the husband just as Christ, the church, is in subject to Christ, in Christ to the head, God. And what does that mean? That means that the, the wife should recognize the accountability that the husband has to God, to to live out the order of creation, to exemplify in the marriage institution, in the family setting, God's order, to mirror that. And then, excuse me, bolded here, husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And if we read the whole passage, as you know, he repeats that theme several times, that the husband is called to love the wife. It just can't work any other way. And what kind of love are we called to love our wives? The sacrificial love as Christ gave himself for the church. Think about that. So the biblical basis of marriage, I think, can be summed up this way. Starting with all of life is part of God's order of creation and in accordance with his eternal principles. As such, marriage is a gift from God that brings order to society. I'm going to pause there because that's a fundamental point here that God ordained marriage to be the hinge point, the nucleus of society to bring order to society through that marriage union. Two shall become one. Two shall become one in marriage. Synergy. You know, the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts type of energy that comes and effectiveness and, and power that can come in serving the Lord through the union of of male and female, the unity that we have as being one, one in purpose, one in commitment, one in serving God, and hence the stability then that results from that marriage union and family and community. The image of God is represented in the differentiation and unity of the two sexes, which forms our identity as a marriage couple. I really never... really thought about that much until I started preparing for this. And I started looking at the scripture where God said that we are made in his image. You know what? That includes the, the, the female, the, the unit of, of marriage. Male and female sort of further embellishes that identity that we have in Christ as he ordained life to, to exist upon this earth. And then oneness of marriage is illustrative of the Trinity, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as one, and even Christ and his church. Next slide. So God ordained the husband as a spiritual leader of the home, called to love and cherish his wife, and for the wife to observe God's order of creation by respecting her husband's role as head, as well as his accountability before God. And you know what? Liberation is not found in escaping these roles, but in fully embracing God's plan. And again, that's counterintuitive to our culture, because our culture is me first and do everything I can do to fulfill my own wants and needs. That's not God's plan. In fact, real liberation is found in finding God's plan for our marriage. Therefore, the family is the core social institution and foundation of social order. Again, repeating that very essential concept. Next slide. So, next slide. Thank you. So, God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. Let's pause there. What God did and what God does is good is good. But what happens in life in this fallen world when there's something good? 
Next slide. It comes under attack by Satan. Here someone writing said this, if God the creator, in fact, as the Bible teaches, instituted marriage in the family, and if there is an evil being called Satan who wages war against God's creative purposes in this world, then what? It should come as no surprise that the divine foundation of these institutions has come under massive attack in recent years. Ultimately, we human beings, whether we realize it or not, are involved in a cosmic spiritual conflict that pits God against Satan with marriage and the family serving as a key arena in which spiritual and cultural battles are fought. And I'm absolutely convinced that that's where Satan wants to spend his time, to totally destroy the Christian church if he can. And we know that he can't. But that's his attack, is right at home. That's where he wants to attack us, brothers. So what should be our response? Next slide. So our, pardon? It's sticking? Okay. So our response is to be strong. To be strong. Because the enemy of our soul and the enemy of our marriage and the enemy of our family is very strong. So we are called to be strong as well. But not strong in our own might. As Paul wrote to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Next slide. And he also wrote... To the Corinthians, sticking again. Thanks. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. Next slide. So strong husbands and strong fathers in the Lord will lead to strong families. And strong families will lead to stronger churches and ultimately to stronger communities. And our role, brothers, as spiritual leaders in the home, is not to be he-men for Christ or anything like that. You know, it's to lead our families to the source of the strength, to first acknowledge the source of the strength ourselves, and then lead our families to that source of strength. It's not us. Next slide. So God recognized that. Back in the Old Testament times, he knew that his people needed to be strong in order to be obedient and, and for that to work, he knew that, he, that people needed an intermediary. And he called that intermediary a priest, someone to bring the people to God and represent God to the people. Next slide. And we know that priests had qualifications in the Old Testament. We know that they were to be morally upright and without sin. Next slide. Similarly, based on... Um, even the garments that the priests wore, they stood out. They were special, right? And that meant that they were sanctified and consecrated for a special purpose. This is the, what God instituted so that the people could be strong and could obey and the people could be led to God, the institution of priests. So the functions of priests that we find in the Old Testament, I want to spend a little bit of time with, is offer sacrifices for the atonement of sin, to represent the people to God, to teach and instruct in the law, to exercise godly judgment and discernment and to keep himself undefiled from sin. So what I'd like to do is take each of those functions and talk about what, how we could apply those as priests in our home, as a spiritual leader in our home. Okay, next slide. So the husband and father is priests. Next slide. Offer sacrifices for the atonement of sin. Leviticus, it says, For on that day shall the priest make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And no, it's not our job to cleanse our family, our spouse, our family, our children, their sin. Far be it. Jesus Christ did that upon the cross. And we're redeemed by the blood that was shed there. But we can take that as the high priest of the home to think about how we can offer sacrifices well, do we offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving at home? In other words, as the father, as the husband, as the spiritual leader in our home, are we setting the tone for worship, setting the tone for praise, setting the tone for, uh, for thanksgiving by living that example? Similarly, when we make a mistake, when we sin, are we quick to feel the remorse of that sin, to repent of that, to ask for forgiveness. And, and also, 
when forgiveness is needed, are we quick to forgive? That's a priestly rule that we have in the home. And then finally, do we offer Christ our all? As Paul wrote to the Romans, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is our reasonable service. Do we sacrifice our all in the role as a leader? Next. Representing the people to God. Um, that's an interesting one. Uh, and as I, as I meditated upon that, the thought that came to me is that we represent our spouse, our children to God through prayer. Through prayer. And just as the priests offered the incense upon the altar that, that rose before the throne of God, uh, we know in, in Scripture that incense is symbolic of prayer. In, in Psalm 141.2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. And in Revelation, it says, Revelation 8, And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the, the throne. It's such a beautiful symbolism of prayer being as incense. Brothers, what is our prayer life like at home? Does our spouse, do our children know that prayer is indispensable to us as, as children of God ourselves? Do they know that we're quick when confronted with a problem, when confronted with a decision, when confronted with just the myriad of things that come into our lives, are we quick to what? Pray about it. And in our formal prayer time, is, it, is our family aware that we have a, a time set aside for prayer and for meditation with God? And in, when, in so doing, are we praying for our family? I'm sure we are. Many, and, and, and majority of our prayer, I'm sure, is occupied in the supplication and all the needs that our family does have. And also, do we take every opportunity in leading our family in prayer? You know, not just at mealtime, but in prayer, have, finding time for prayer with our family. That's how we can represent our families to God. Teaching and instructing in the law. Um, Leviticus 10, that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. What does our study uh, of the word look like at home? Again, does our family know that that's precious to us? Does our family know that we do set its time aside every day, that, that, that precious time where we spend alone with God in reading his word? You know, not just reading his word, which we, 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 we do and need to do, do we study God's word? And are our children, are they aware that we actually have a plan to study God's word? Maybe it's a book of this month that we're going to work through together. Whatever it is. And, and as we acquire those habits of study, we're passing them on to our children as well. Do we live the word of God? And that's even the bigger challenge, is it not? To really live out God's word and to apply it and to show our children how you practically apply God's word. And then teach God's word. Are there opportunities at home to teach God's word? I know we lived a bit of a distance from church, and so on those Sundays when we weren't in church, we had formal worship time together, and it was, a, as I look back, a beautiful opportunity of teaching of teaching God's word to the family. What a precious opportunity that was. Don't have to live a distance from church to do that. We can, we can all set aside time during the week to think about coming together as a family and actually have teaching in God's word. Next slide. Um, exercising godly judgment. And that's just really all about fearfully seeking God's direction in all matters. And I pointed that out when I, when I mentioned about prayer and when things come up in life, we need to our family needs to know that we go to God first in prayer. But I was really taken by studying the high priest, taken by the garments that the priest wore and the breastplate that Aaron wore, and over the heart was uh, a little pocket or something, and that were two stones, the Urim and the Thummim. I don't understand it really, but it's all about the decision process. When a decision was needed to be made, 
and the Israelites that they knew that they could come to the priests and the decision by God could be communicated through this process. The process today is do we go to the, 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 the foot of the cross for all those concerns and issues and earnestly and fearfully seek God's direction? Next slide. Keeping ourselves undefiled from sin then. And the topic there was a topic that took the entire Pine Valley retreat this year, which was a beautiful experience of, of really concentrating on what it means to be holy. So the question is, what is our pursuit of holiness, brothers? Is it, is it conscious? I know that sounds funny to ask it that way, but is it a conscious matter of before us that we are consciously pursuing holiness in our lives. And if we're not, we need to do that. And, you know, just as in, a, in an airplane, I, I, the oxygen mask principle, you know, when you're about to take off and they tell you about this compartment that's pressurized and if somehow that's disrupted, an oxygen mask will pop down and you're supposed to take care of yourself first before your child, right? How many times have we heard that? Well, that oxygen mask principle applies here to holiness as well need to take care of ourselves and our standing before God and the holiness and what we are exposing ourselves to and allowing ourselves to be exposed to in our homes before we can really teach our children what holiness is. And are we aware in our homes of what our children are exposed to? As the priest of our home, it's our responsibility, our responsibility to... Um, engender a, 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 an environment of, of holiness separated from sin. We need to be cautious about what our children are exposed to in a world with technology where the evils of this world literally are available at, the, at, 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 at our fingertips, at our palm. Next slide. Also, New Testament priests. I wanted to spend just a little bit of time talking about that. So it's not just the Old Testament where there were priests, Jesus said then in, in Revelation, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath what? Made us kings and priests. So Christ in his sacrifice upon the cross made us priests, each person, male and female, all of his creation, those who are redeemed by his blood upon Calvary's cross. And when that veil rent in twain, we now have access to his holiest of holies. Next slide. Even in, in Peter's epistle where we read, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. It underscores the fact that we are priests today. We don't have that office of priest any longer as an intermediary. Our intermediary to the Father is Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand, is he not? So we are, as it were, priests called to be priests today. And not only can we go into the holiest of holies, think about this. We dwell there. That's, our, that's where we live, with access to the Father. Not just once a year by the priest going in, but 24-7. We have access to the Father. So we are all priests, but godly men especially, I think, have a specific priestly role to play in the family. Well, let's look at Jesus as, a high, as our high priest example in the New Testament. Next slide. Um, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, who considered the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, this is Hebrews 3, who, what, was faithful. Jesus is also our example of a high priest in the New Testament. He was faithful, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Are we faithful in our role as a high priest? What does that mean? It means to be consistent, I think. It means to be faithful to that calling. It means to be dedicated to that calling and consistent in how we approach that responsibility that we have. Not to take a day off or two here or there from that. No, but that is who we are. It defines who we are in the family structure. Next slide. And in Romans 4, seeing then that you have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. So we too 
should hold fast, that is, be committed to the responsibility that we have as high priests. And we, too, should feel the infirmities, the cares, the needs. Um, I had an employee come in just this last week, a couple days ago, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry I was late today, but it was a meltdown at the house. My, I was just walking out to the garage, and my nine-year-old daughter came to me in tears. And, blah, 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 and he, was, he was really apologetic for being late. I said, wait, wait, that's, ex- that's exactly where you needed to be at that moment. Don't apologize. That's what you need to do. And we talked a little bit about father and daughters and things like that, and it was a beautiful time for this person and I, my colleague and I, to, to spend because he had a meltdown at his house. And now, now he knows that that's, that's a real responsibility of his and something that overshadows you know, the, the need to be at work on time, I think. Next slide. Um, and then finally, in, in Hebrews 10, where we see that Jesus, our high priest, made an offering. But guess what? He was the offering. He gave his all. And so that underscores for us as New Testament high priests in our homes how we are also called to give our all. So I want to spend a little bit of time also shifting gears now and talking about our role as a leader. So we've talked about the Old Testament priests and how the functions of Old Testament priests apply to us today and in the example of Jesus as a New Testament priest. But I also want to talk about leadership because We are called, according to God's order, to be the head of our homes. Head of our homes implies what? Leadership. Well, what's our concept of leadership? It may be somewhat biased by somebody famous who's been a a very uh, well-known, dynamic leader. It may be biased by how your father was a leader in the home. It may be biased by any number of role models that we might have been exposed to, but I think we have to go to Jesus as our example if we want to look at what leadership is all about. And remember what he said in Matthew, be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But the, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. What kind of leader is that? What kind of leader is Jesus calling us to be? Next slide. I think he's calling us to be a servant leader. There's a concept called servant leadership that means that it's not about us being in charge. Now, we're the head of the house. But let's not dwell on being the head of the house, being in charge. Let's dwell upon building up, building relationships. It's not about controlling, but it's about caring about those that were, have been entrusted to our care. It's not about gaining turf, you know, that... I'm going to win this one for my wife, you know, that one, or what, keeping score. It's not about all that. No, it's about losing self. Losing self completely. And it's not about giving little pep talks along the way. Like, it defines my role as a leader because I pat my kid on the head and say, a boy, go back in there and, and, and hit a home run. Or what. It's, it's about helping that little boy find meaning in life. There are four keys to servant leadership that we're going to spend a moment talking about. One is our heart. Another is being willing to be used. A healthy self-concept is very important. And finally, being prepared to serve. So after he had washed their feet, the epitome of servant leadership here, and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye... That I know ye what I have done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye so also, also ought to wash one another's feet. Wow. That, that just really touches my heart every time I think about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And then I want to apply that to my role in my little world as a husband and a father. And do I do that? 
Do I wash their feet? Where are my motives in all of this? My priorities? And do I, as Jesus, do it wholeheartedly? Is it really emanating from the inside out? I want us to you know, sort of challenge ourselves and think about our role every single day in how we interact with our family. Are we washing feet? Next. So willing to be used. And we, we read here where Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that he was willing to impart unto them the gospel. He was willing. Isn't that great? Are we willingly in this role as a leader? Or do we just sort of give it lip service and say, well, I know it's kind of expected of me and I'll kind of do that when I think about it. It's, 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 are we really willing? Did we sign up in a willing way to do that? But how did Paul go about imparting the, the gospel to the Thessalonians? I love this part. With gentleness. As a leader in our homes, are we gentle in how we lead? As the Apostle Paul was. Do we do it with a deep, deep desire? That's really our priority, is it? Is it not? To, 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 to lead our families with a deep desire. This is what I want to do. This is my calling. And finally, to be spent in the process where Paul said he imparted to him the, not only the gospel, but also our own souls. So do we have that sense that we're imparting leadership to our homes? But not only leadership, we're imparting our whole being, our whole souls in the process. Healthy self-concept. Remember where Paul besought Christ to remove the thorn in the flesh three times. And then Jesus answered him and, and said, But my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And what was Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And by healthy concept is, do we, you know, do we view ourselves in a realistic way? Are we looking in the mirror and really evaluating ourselves realistically and knowing that, you know, we're a work in progress. We really are. Each one of us is. Until we, you know, take our last breath, I suspect we will be a work in progress do we understand that we don't have all the answers? Do we understand that we're not called upon by our strength to fix this problem? Do we understand, therefore, that our concept of ourself is one of being a tool in God's hand and, and also drawing strength from him? And as we draw strength from him, we're fully relying upon his grace. You know, not, not any strengthening of ourselves, but it's the grace of God. And we glorify God in that process of finding our strength in him. And I call that a, selfie, a healthy self-concept, if we, if, we really, if we really think about it that way. And prepared to serve. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and so forth. We know that passage well. And, and we've talked about knowing God's word, and we've talked about imparting God's word to our family. But I love the part in this passage where he talks about the great house and their vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and of, of hay and of stubble and so forth. And, and if any man purge himself from these. So the concept is, brothers, to, dis, to remove all the distractions that get in our way of proper leadership. All those things that are kind of competing for our time, kind of nipping at us, that distract us from that role of leadership. Um, it's maybe our own pleasure. Maybe it's been a tough day at work, and all the way home in the car, all you're thinking about is, I've got to get home and sit down and relax. And the next thing you know is you've got the kids saying, hey, Daddy, can we do this, can we do that? Or I've got a question, I had a problem at school, your, your wife's got all these things to discuss with you, and all you want is peace and quiet. But you know what? Your peace and quiet becomes the distraction, not the needs of your family. Do you ever think about it that way? We, we need to be available for our families. And yes, we need downtime too. I'm not saying that. I can remember so many times 
my oldest son, who's a little bit hyperactive, I think it was before we had that diagnosis, but anyway, um, so many times I'd head home from work, and I was thinking about, I just want to sit down and relax, and, and by the top of the drive, I'm looking down, and here's my oldest son bouncing a basketball waiting for me, <laughs> and never once did I deny that opportunity to play a little one-on-one on the ba- uh, in the, in the uh, um, driveway with him, because that's important. It's so, so important. And then Paul also talks about being a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use. And I love that concept of just being convenient for God, being, being a tool that he can really use that's available to him. And after all, isn't that what we are as leaders in our home, but a tool placed there by God for a greater purpose to mold and shape our children and our families, directing them to God. Next. So some practical application here um, like to go to. Go ahead. Time. Time, talent, and treasure. First of all, a survey. Uh, 38% of dads would take a pay cut to spend more time with their kids. I kind of think it should be higher than that, personally. 24% believe that work is negatively impacting their relationship with their children. 48% have missed a significant event in their child's life due to work at least once in the past year. And 25% spend less than one hour per day with their children. And that's just a statistic from a, from a survey that was performed. But, you know, it makes you think about the concept of time. So we have such precious little of it. And it truly is one of God's greatest gifts to us is time that we have. And I, I can stand here before you now, and, and I heard older brothers say it before when I was younger, but it's so true. The time just goes like that. And the, before you know it, the kids are out of the house and independent and on their own and starting families and you have to stop and catch your breath and say, where did the time go? And I know that for the younger ones here, it doesn't seem that way right now, but trust me, it's true. And so we need to really value the time that we have now to spend with our children. And the other thing is don't get caught in the quality time trap. And what I mean by that is so many times you say, well, I'm just too tired now. Listen, on Saturday we'll do that. Or I'll have time to I'll spend some quality time with you on vacation or it never comes or rarely does the time for quality time is now next slide you know and I thought about this verse in in a well-known passage in Deuteronomy I thought about time because when are we to teach our children about the Lord and to teach them diligently it says when sitteth in thine house when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up, sounds like 24-7 to me, that's the time that we have to spend in our role as, as a leader in our home. Next. Uh, talent. Talent. Now, I don't know who they are. Those, that, that's a father and a son in a garden, obviously, but I got that from the Internet. But a talent I'm going to define as something that you like to do. Maybe you're something you're good at, but it's maybe something that's uh, something you, you tend to do when you have some time and you want to do, right? Well, I picked that photo because my dad loved to garden. And for whatever reason, I became his number one assistant. <laughs> and maybe begrudgingly a little bit at first, but I used to love that. And, and now, after he's long gone, and I look back at those days when we were in the garden together, such special times, because when we, we, we draw our family in, or maybe it's a one-on-one situation like this with a child, into that area of our life that is our talent, something we like to do, and we do that as a means to an end, you know, the, the, the end being to, 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 to impart unto our child truths of life, to tell them about stories when you were young, for example, and my dad did that. He did, he did that. And, and I, many things I can remember about, about different sayings that he would say or just things that were important to him, stories when he was a kid about my grandparents, etc. That's when I learned them, when I was out in the garden with him. So if we have a talent, something we like to do, think about it as an opportunity 
for our kids so that we can help shape their identity, so we can give them a sense of belonging. Wow, that did that for me. It really did. I felt special. Um, Influence their values. Demonstrate character. Teach respect. Impart love. And build that relationship that's going to last a lifetime. And even beyond, after our father is gone, look back and, and, and wow, that relationship is still there. Next. And I thought about, similarly, the, the passage in Deuteronomy, also about talent. Because I love this, where it says, and when thy son asketh thee in time to come. You know, and for me, it was in the garden. Time, that time came when I'd ask him questions. That's when we bonded, created a relationship that uh, we used to call each other buddies. And I know, you know, there's a difference between a father and a buddy. So not going there. But, but, but you know, it's a closeness of a relationship that lasted a lifetime. And so when our children come and ask us when time to come, let's be prepared to give them an answer. There's our opportunity to tell them about what it was like when we were kids. What was it like when our grand stories about our grandparents, stories about our heritage, how precious our heritage is to us? Let them know that it is because we're ready to answer that question for them. We're giving opportunity and time to do that. Um, And it shall be righteousness if we observe to do all these things. And then finally, treasure. And um, Jesus said to lay up for yourselves, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth earth. And I firmly believe if we take our role as a high priest in the home, as a leader in the home, we really take that seriously and prioritize it and think about it consciously, why it's important to us, I think we're laying up treasures in heaven. I really do. I really do. I think it honors God that we do so. And you know what? It just may have an impact. I know it will have an impact on our marriage. I know it'll have an impact on our family. I really believe it'll have an impact on our church. And it might even have an impact on our neighborhoods and our communities. If enough of us, enough of us really rise up to that occasion and truly be men of God and leaders in our own homes. So, next slide. We do have a little bit of time for sharing. I had contemplated having a panel up here as many times we do in a forum. And the more I thought about that was just to draw upon the wealth of everyone who's in attendance. If someone would like to share any uh, reflections, personal reflections from growing up uh, uh, or raising a family at home, um, anything that ties to our topic of spiritual leadership that, that might be on your heart, that you'd like to share. Well, I wish I could go back 32 years. Yeah, I wish I could go back 32 years when Daniel was born to do a lot of things differently. Although the Lord has blessed us, His grace was really sufficient. But I would have done a lot of things differently. And it's, it's just sort of, it's almost frustrating that I didn't know then what I know now, you know, what, uh, so that's, that's my comment. Yeah, they, they say that, you know, children don't come with an uh, operating manual, and it, it's so true. I don't know if there's a father here, please say so, but I have not met a father who, who, who would say anything any differently than Brother Tony, that, wow, there are things I would have done differently if I only would have known. And you know what? I think, brothers, I think we, we come from a culture ourselves. We're talking about culture, but we come from our own culture Ourselves, where our fathers perhaps um, didn't think about, or our, I talked about my own father, maybe I should say grandfather, take it back a generation, but um, you know, maybe didn't think about using our talent as an opportunity to shape our identities as children. Maybe it was too hierarchical. I don't know. Maybe some have experienced that too. And so my point is that we didn't naturally learn a lot of this about our role as leader at home. I don't know. Is that a fair statement? Brother Bob's got a comment. As a 
father and grandfather, uh, I just have some advice for the younger people. Uh, don't give up. Uh, just recently, this summer, we had an, ex an experience with uh, every year our family goes on an uh, outing in Tappan Lake, and we, we spend the week together with, uh, with the family. And um, every year, it's right around Father's Day, and we spend from Saturday to Saturday, and then, of course, the first day we're there is Sunday. So we always had a little worship service. So this year, I, I thought, I told my wife, I said, you know what, it just seemed like there's not much interest. Maybe we just ought to skip having a, a morning service. And I told my daughter that. And she said, oh, no, by all means, no, we can't do that. It's Sunday. We need to worship God. Just do it. Mm. So I prayed about that, and I asked God what I could say and do. Well, to make a short story out of this, we got together, and we do for about one hour on Sunday morning, and we all gathered around where we usually had the campfire, and we had church. And there was, uh, I think everybody came. Mm. And uh, Sunday, the first Sunday, <coughs> many of them can be there, but then after Sunday, go home, because they, they work, and there's different reasons why. But I had to repent from that. I felt ashamed of myself, because I, I wanted to give up. Mm. Don't give up. Mm. Thank you, Brother Bob, for sharing and being transparent like that. Roger. One of my experiences, <clears throat> I was sitting in my daughter's house, and she was preparing supper, and we were sitting there talking. And I noticed she was doing a lot of things the way her mother did it. And it scared me because I realized we are teaching 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We may be teaching good things, or we may be teaching the wrong things, but we are teaching every day. And another thing that my last daughter got married, all of a sudden it hit me. What happened? They're all up and gone, and it's all over. Well, it's not really all over, but... <laughs> The direct influence of having your children at home, that is over. Uh, it goes so fast. Yeah, thanks, Brother Roger. <coughs> Anybody else? Right here. Yeah, just a little uh, actual confession. As we were speaking there, I thought to myself, um, my son Dylan, he's nine years old now. He'll be 10 in, uh, in December. And I thought, I actually was thinking, okay, you know what? I got like four years pretty much before he becomes a teenager to spend some time. And I realized in my own life um, that there's always, like there's never enough time in a day. I'm always busy with work. Um, I'm self-employed, so I feel like no matter what time of the day, if someone's calling at 9 o'clock, I'm always thinking about work. And yet he just wants to spend time. And you're right, brother, uh, he, they're, they're like sponges. You know, he, when I do spend time with them and we just take, he'll just start mentioning a whole bunch of stories. I don't even remember, but they remember these stories. Mm -hmm. Just you know, grabbing up where he stopped at an outlet and uh, he wanted to buy the same shoes. He really want, he, he wanted to buy shoes. And I thought he wanted to buy shoes for himself. He wanted me to buy the same shoes that he had. <laughs> you know, I'm like, my son really loves me and he wants my time. And yeah. unfortunately, I feel, I catch myself um, fulfilling my time with things that actually gives me some sort of satisfaction. Mm. Just a confession. Great. Thank you. Wonderful. That's encouraging. So Brother Rod, did you have something here? I have more of a question. Um, for those of us whose children are starting to, to leave home and um, perhaps coming to us with, uh, with questions or uh, seeking to use their talents in ways that we can't help them, um, do you have any advice? Um, I, I guess I, I get back to the analogy of, I think about, well, if I was Bill Gates' dad and my son came to me and said, you know, Dad, I'm in Harvard, but I'd really like to drop out and start a company. <laughs> and, uh, and I think my first response would be, well, son, nine out of ten uh, small businesses fail in the first five years, you know. You've got a 90% chance of, uh, of failure here. And... Uh, so I'm not sure I would have counseled him to, to drop out of Harvard and go into business for himself. But 
Um, I was wondering, uh, you know, when, if you could give us some advice of how, how much, um, how much fatherly advice we should still be giving as our children leave home and uh, in that phase of the phase and how do we address situations where our child might have, might have an opportunity to use their challenge but we're afraid, afraid of the, the downside or the risks of, of using that talent. Yeah, good question. I, I'd like to, I've, I'll offer uh, some thoughts but I'd like to first ask if, if brothers here would like to respond. <coughs> Brother Roy, right back. So as I look back on my life, um, I, I think this is one of the things that I almost regret that I didn't do is really take more chances when I was younger. I'm at the age now that I can't afford to take chances. You know, I've, I've got kids that are growing up. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I plan on doing is, as much as possible is provide for their schooling. But I would say while they're younger, let them take the chances. They can always come back home again when they're younger. When they've got a family and everything, it's much harder. You know, if they want to try to start up a business, try to start up that business. Um, obviously, whatever they do needs to be done in, in prayer and, and to make sure that it is the will of God to do that. But if it's God's will that they do that, how can we say no? Yeah, I, you know, and each child is different. I'll tell you a story about my son, Ben. He uh, was a fine arts major in college, and he specialized in sculpture. So he'd come home from college, I'd say, Ben, how are you going to make a living? You know, you know and Every time you come home, Ben, how are you going to make a living? You know, you can't make a living doing that, Ben. Ben, how are you going to make a living? You know, I'm very pragmatic, and I want him to think that through. And, you know, um, two years into that program, he, he was really committed to it. He enjoyed it. He was doing really well. I had to change my perspective, and I had to think, wait a minute, what am I doing to him? I mean, this is something that is his interest. He wants to pursue. And just because it's not me... How, why should I impose myself on him? And so I did the 180, and I started being his cheerleader and saying, you know, getting involved and seeing what he was doing and so forth. And, you know, the happy ending of that story, I think it's me, is that I felt much better about it. But anyway, the end of that story, he came home one day. He says, Dad, I know what I'm going to do. I said, great, Ben. What are you going to do with sculpture? He said, you know those cruise ships where they have ice sculptures? <laughs> He's going to travel the world on a cruise ship, he said. He said, you go for it, Ben, whatever you... <laughs> but all the kids are different. And we can't sort of think that they're little mini-us and that therefore we have to impose exactly what we want for ourselves upon them, obviously other than spiritually speaking. Uh, but I'm talking about those things of life in terms of career choices and such. But I have noticed that um, after the kids have left that... Uh, I have to work a little bit harder at my the art of persuasion. It's not quite exactly giving advice unless they're asking for advice, but when I see that advice is needed, it's really a different tact at giving that advice. It's more like persuasion. Um, but yet they do ask for advice. And then there are also times when they don't ask for it and you know it's your duty to give it exactly and without any equivocation. And that's I've had that experience too. So... Um, they're all different, and each circumstance is different in terms of how the father responds. But I can tell you, Brother Rod, it does change once they've left the home in terms of... Well, first, it's like what you said, Mark, that they're not many you, and you have to, meet, you have, you have to be sure, really, you're not going to push them to do what you did or what you'd like them to be. Like, for example, I... Uh, did a tremendous resistance to stir my children into medicine because I'm a doctor and therefore they all should be physicians. I, I avoided that. Another thing, you have to take their requests very seriously. Uh, they're not sort of, it's not like on, off the cuff. You need to sit with them and discuss with them clearly what they want to do and look at the pros and cons and pray with them. Let's pray to see what the Lord reveals to us, if that makes sense or not. And at the end of the day, let them decide what they want to do. Thanks, Brother Tony. We have time for one more. Brother Phil? In the beginning, you showed all the statistics of how societies uh, 
falling apart. And uh, if we look at ourselves as fathers, we think, oh, relative to society, we're doing pretty good. Depending, I mean, most of us are, are all compared to that. And, and I have people in my neighborhood say, oh, what a good father, what a good father. And I, I don't pat myself on the back because we have a call to a higher standard. And if you look at the high priestly aspects of what we should be doing, how far short do I fall on what I should be doing? So just relative to where we uh, are in society, we're doing great, but we're li relative to where we should be. Personally, I have a ways to go. Yeah, amen. Thank you for that, Brother Phil. And when we think about the culture around us, we just, I, I, I mean, one message that I, I take from that is that that's the world in which we live, and it's a challenging world, so it makes it even all the more challenging for us as the spiritual leaders in our homes. A couple more slides, if I could, just to, 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 in conclusion, one more. Um, wanted to summarize for us, High Priest, um, offer sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving with our entire being to Christ, lifting up our wife and our children in fervent prayer before the Lord, living the word and looking for opportunities to teach us truths, exercise godly judgment and discernment, and finally pursue holiness in thought, word, and deed. And then with respect to being a, a leader in our homes, have a servant heart with Jesus as our example, be willing to be used with gentleness and with our whole heart. Have a healthy self-concept and humility, knowing the source of our strength and always being ready to serve. And then finally, in the face of moral decay and social deconstruction, if we want a strong nation, strong communities, and strong churches, then, and we'll leave you with this, by God's grace and in his, the power of his might, we can build stronger marriages and stronger families by recommitting ourselves to God's design for spiritual leadership in our homes. So thank you very much.